let the party begin here in West Lafayette. One of the top five places to watch a college basketball game. I would argue you can't find a better one. Three on the way. Bullseye! I feel the electricity in the house. The passion. It's a wall of sound. So here it back. It is four with three. They go to wall of vacuum. Planted for three. This is the Boiler Ball Podcast. Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Rob Blackman. Episode 87 here on the podcast as we kick off a new season. And Rob uh, and I were brainstorming all summer to come mm-hmm. up with this uh, mini-series, I guess, so to speak. We, uh, we, we tend to take a little bit of a deeper look in the changes that are abounding all over college athletics and uh, get into some deep discussion. So, uh, Rob, uh, a lot of fertile ground to plow there. Yes, uh, in, uh, in deep thought, we're both of us, as you mentioned, this summer contemplating different guests and ideas. Uh, <laughs> that was about the extent of the effort I put into anything all summer I was, <laughs> as I was on summer break. But today, summer vacation officially over. Back to work for Rob Blackman. So there we, we go. go. About time. we get those pipes going, warmed up again for the upcoming season. So I uh, want to welcome in our guest on this first uh, edition of our uh, look into the changes of college athletics, the Deputy Athletics Director here at Purdue. Ken Halpin joins us. Ken, thanks for taking time to join us. It is an absolute pleasure. Excited <laughs> to be here. I know. Now you can finally check this off your list. You've been with us just over a year, or right around a year. And now I was you... telling some others, man, I don't know what I did to finally get this invitation, but it happened. <laughs> well, we won't. We won't get into the fact that we ran out of guests. No, just, kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Okay, so first of all, before we uh, get into all these topics, a um, little bit about yourself, where you grew up. That, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, I was, was born outside of San Diego, California, but moved um, when I was younger to Southern Oregon and no siblings, just me. So uh, went actually back to the University of San Diego for undergrad to play football and baseball. My football career was, uh, it went really well there. Baseball did not go well at all. So um, I transferred to Willamette University Division Three institution so I could still play two sports, football and baseball. Uh, fast forward that to a master's at Gonzaga University and a PhD at Washington State University. Uh, so where I started my career and my family up in Spokane, Washington. Um, first at a community college, but then moved over to Eastern Washington University. And um, once I kind of had a, some success uh, administratively at Eastern, was able to climb up to the deputy AD role there, finished my PhD around the same time. And I thought, you know what, let's take a stab and see if maybe there's a uh, AD job out there that might give me a shot. And so it's it's kind of a long story. I'm assuming timing isn't an issue with this. No, episode. no, sir, not at all. We'll just edit it. If it's boring, we'll edit it. <laughs> so um, it was. Let's see here. 2007, and Spokane, Washington hosts a regional uh, every other year for the NCAA tournament. So it was 07, and friends of mine called and said, "Hey." This regional in Spokane's host in Oregon, and we grew up as Oregon fans, grew up in Southern Oregon. So my friend said, we want to drive up and come watch the tournament games with you this year. And then Texas was in that year, the one year they had Kevin Durant. So they said, we mm-hmm. want to see Kevin Durant play college basketball. Uh, not a lot of people get to say they got to do that. Yeah, yeah. And so I told them, well, hey, do me a favor. Let, don't, don't look at the tickets. Let me handle the tickets. Because if you call the Spokane Arena, you're not going to get much. 
So we got to find the school in the pod that has the farthest travel yeah. and call their ticket office because right. they're required to take an allotment. If they can't fill their allotment, I'm sure they'd love to sell us tickets. So I look at the bracket, and there's a school out of Rock Hill, South Carolina called Winthrop University. And so it's a true story. I called their ticket office and said, hey, uh, curious if you still have extra tickets in your allotment. And they said, are you kidding me? We have tons. <laughs> Our fans aren't going all the way to Spokane. Um, and so bought bought some tickets and, and sat in Winthrop's section, like four rows from the bottom, great seats. And that was the year that uh, uh, Winthrop upset Notre Dame. It was an 11-6 upset on St. Patty's Day. So they were all Notre Dame was prepared to lead the, the Spokane St. Patrick's Day Parade, and they weren't there for that. Um, and so that's exactly 10 years before I interviewed for the AD job at Winthrop. Wow. And I, I, and to I the, never heard that story. To this day, I'm 100% convinced if I didn't have that story, no one in the mm-hmm. committee would have liked me. I would have never gotten the job. And so um, when I interviewed, had a great story. Everyone loved it. Was just enough to convince them into hiring me. So I <laughs> wow. went from Eastern Washington down to Spokane, or sorry, down to Rock Hill as the AD there for just over five years. And then came on up here in my first soiree to the Midwest, a place called Purdue University in West Lafayette, if you guys have heard of it. So that your gig in Win- Winthrop is the first time out of the Northwest slash left coast, West Coast. The entire Pacific time zone. And wow. the other thing, so. Um, my first time setting foot in the state of South Carolina was actually in the second round of interviews because the first round was in Charlotte at the airport. So literally went to South Carolina side unseen. Uh, The the other fun part, the president who hired me, Dan Mahoney, is by trade a sport management professor. He became uh, a president from the sport management track. He was also one of the most quoted... um, authors in my doctoral dissertation so i also had in my hip pocket a little bit of let me tell you about your research which i'm pretty sure no other candidates are going to talk about wow got a bunch of little random topics there uh on that topic you taught in the classroom as well right i did and so went down there he and i co-taught a class together on um history and current issues in college athletics and i always made fun of him he always taught a history of college athletics course and i made like i'd say well those notes never change so you just show up no prep <laughs> yeah yeah to do the same thing i got to come up with new topics all the time so we co-taught a class together and, and actually what stemmed from that are a couple of things one um we we worked together to create uh, an mba emphasis in sport revenue generation um and then the other thing we did there was we, we for fun came up with a one-day lecture on esports as an emerging topic, and that actually became Winthrop's current varsity esports program, which has become uh, earned a, a really significant national reputation. It's a, it was a fun project that we worked on while we were down there that stemmed from that classroom. Wow, that's pretty cool. So, w- at what age did you think I want to get into athletics administration? It was probably when I was my final year at Willamette University. Um, cause when I went to San Diego, I played football, used up my first year of eligibility, but because I got cut from the baseball team, I did not use up my first year of eligibility in baseball. So at, at Willamette, my final year, I was out of football eligibility, but had one more baseball. So I spent the fall in my head coach's office, just screwing around, helping out with things. And it was the first time I realized, wow, once you become the head coach, you don't coach anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like you're on laundry, oh. you're on scheduling, you're on travel. Like, yeah. You don't do any coaching. <laughs> and it was kind of the first sort of whiff of there's a lot that goes into this. And there are people that work here who aren't coaches. And and so um, that off season, I was trying to come up with, it was actually my father-in-law um, 
to be at the time who came up with, hey, you know, Gonzaga has a great reputation and they have a sport administration graduate program. What do you think about that? And so I said, sure, like that sounds exciting. So went through that route. And it's funny too. I I remember the first day of class at Gonzaga, our professor, Chris Fry, one of the best professors I've ever had, said, hey, uh, everybody go one at a time. What's your dream job? What do you want to do when you grow up? And everyone in the room was like, I want to be an AD. I want to be an AD. I want to be an AD. And And his whole point in making it was, there are so many other jobs in sport. My job is to help you see it comprehensively. But it was the first time where I was like, wow, like, Apparently, there's a whole bunch of people who want to do this, and there's not a lot of jobs to choose from. So Yeah, finite <laughs> what, amount of jobs. What position did you play in football and baseball? Uh, I, so I always caught. I was always a catcher in baseball through high school. Um, but uh, by the time I got to college, I, I could run a little bit, so moved to the outfield until we basically ran out of catchers. So my senior year, I moved behind the plate. And then football, um, you know, I went to San Diego uh, in the secondary, more of a strong safety. Uh, but when I transferred to Willamette, I suddenly went from being one of the smaller guys on the roster to one of the bigger guys on the roster. So then I went outside linebacker to inside. I moved, I played everything. I, my goal was to know everyone's position, so there was always a shot to get on the field. So Blackman's a football guy. Yeah, I played wide receiver at the University of Evansville. I was so good, they, they dropped the program. <laughs> Is that right? Shortly after just I left. Just because of you. <laughs> yes, right. Anyway, we can't do any better. Let's just drop football. I love yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> oh, man. Good claim to fame. <laughs> okay, so uh, before we get into the changes in college athletics, I wanted to ask you one question about still on your career. Biggest change or changes from being the AD mm-hmm. to now deputy AD and kind of, yeah, what's the biggest, I guess, you know, change from, from that role into this new role you're at now with us? So Rob and I were talking about that earlier. There, there's I would I would split it into a couple of layers because the the roles and the responsibility of the AD are obviously comprehensive the whole division. Um, you know when I was at Winthrop, I, I also had a deputy AD and so I relied on him for day to day keeping things running smoothly while I tried to work with campus and our community to to craft a, a vision for the long term health and viability of the division and the and the institution. But the scale has changed massively <laughs> so yeah. you know like yeah. so I, I so even at purdue you know our, I, th- I think our engineering department's operating budget is still four times the athletic department operating budget but purdue's athletic department operating budget is bigger than all of winthrop university's operating budget and mm-hmm. so the, the the roles that matter are real but the scale is different so we would joke we wouldn't joke you would say at winthrop if you lost your ticket person you lost a hundred percent of your ticket staff. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, yeah. at Purdue, if you lose your t- a ticket person, you lose probably 15 percent. And so, pick, picking up the the slack when you lose somebody stings way harder at a, a smaller institution. But you still have to be compliant. You right. still have right. to raise more money. You still need you still need to win for the reputation of the institution to keep enhancing. And so, the, what's fun is. At, at a school like Winthrop, you read what the the bigger schools are doing, and you you want to you want to um, do your own version of that to the best of your ability. But no matter where you work, whether you're at Purdue or Winthrop or at a high school, everybody always wants to accomplish about 110 percent of what you actually can. So there's no such thing as enough anywhere. So I yeah. always joke with people, at we can add to your staff tomorrow, it'll be immediately not enough the next day. So how do we? make you know efficient decisions to the best of our ability always advocate for more but but accept the fact that there will never be enough so 
That's for our listeners. So Ken's also uh, the basketball sport administrator. So he's the guy we go to when become a complete pain in the ass and asking for things <laughs> all the time. Uh, but he, uh, he he helps us uh, get stuff done on the administrative side. Um, one more before we move on. I lied about that last one being the last, the last one. So I'm very curious. What is the biggest surprise? Like if, if any preconceived notions you had about Purdue, uh-huh. what is the biggest surprise moving here, <laughs> the first, working here? The first thing that comes to mind, and I didn't do this on purpose, but the first thing that comes to mind is everybody I talked to before I moved up here in the entire in the entire industry, the entire country. You know, like so Winthrop's a basketball school. I know a lot of coaches, I know a lot of staff, I know a lot of people in the basketball, I know the agents, I know everybody I talked to said, Man, I don't know if there's a better staff to work with in the country. And I thought, there's no way that's true. There's no way they can be that easy to work with, that thoughtful, that proactive, that collaborative. It just doesn't work like that. And and that a hundred percent the reputation from a staff standpoint, everybody who ever has worked with Purdue or worked at Purdue or works here now, the the synergies of working together has been way smoother than I thought it would be. And and, and I'm not saying that's that's to say that other sports or other folks are any more challenging. It's just at this level, it takes a lot more it takes a lot to remove a lot of the the bumps in the road that are natural to being competitive and, and advocating for your program every day. Um, and so and, and I would say that's reflective of the whole department. I, I, I truly believe our basketball program has influenced our entire department from from the ways that, you know, just the ways you work with others, treat people. It, it, it makes the entire division place a great place to work and a great place to be. Yeah, we're pretty fortunate. Coach Painter kind of sets the tone and, and uh, has for a long time in that regard. And um, there's a lot to, like you said, kind of there's more behind the scenes than people realize. You kind of pull the curtain back and you're like, holy cow, mm-hmm. there's a lot going on back here to make <laughs> all this stuff work. So uh, we're definitely fortunate that uh, that, that paint uh, kind of sets that tone as we go about our business. Okay, a lot of changes. College athletics. We've got the transfer portal, NIL. Conference realignment. Um, I just I was starting a list last night in my head, and I thought, man, these are some pretty big big chunks here. Well, even even what you just listed, like go back three years ago, did maybe the transfer conversation existed? There was a conference realignment dust up not too yeah. long ago, but but yeah. other than that, like all of this stuff was non-existent. Yeah, you know, right. Two years ago. Well, add on top of that, Ken, we're now finally coming out of COVID. And I mean, <laughs> what's, yeah. what's that? More, yeah, I mean, just one more bump in the road that from an administrative standpoint, you've had to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. So from a from an administrative, I, you know, this as we do uh, these uh, upcoming podcasts, I'm trying to get a different perspective on each one. Obviously, you're here that you've been in college athletics for a long time. And from an administrative standpoint, um, I guess the transfers, I'm interested in that, I guess, to start, because I'm assuming we're going to get Coach Painter on this in a couple episodes, and his take will probably be a little bit different, or you know, he's more kind of in the trenches with it. But you see it across multiple sports, um, and you see it from an institutional perspective. Uh, where, do you, I mean, where do you come down on all this? Is it just one of those things where it's just part of the business now, or do you long for the days when kids had a, couldn't just pick up and go? Or you know, what's your take on the whole transfer situation? So one of the other parts of when I was at Winthrop, I was uh, considered myself very fortunate. The Big South Conference selected me as our Division I Council rep. 
And so uh, I was on Division One Council. I was a part of all of the discussions that council voted on over the last three and a half, four years. Uh, and the transfer legislation was a huge topic. I'm, a, you know, as I said earlier, I'm a student athlete who benefited from transferring. Of course, the rule worked for me. I transferred down from a one double A to a Division Three, so I didn't have to sit out a year. Yep. I was thankful for that. <clears throat> and then the other thing I would say is, is that the assessment that I was, the opinion I, or the observation I was making is, it seemed to me there was a philosophical dividing point generationally, at least in administrators. I can't speak for coaches, but administrators who were i would i would frame it within 10 to 15 years of retirement versus administrators 10 to under 10 to 15 years into their career there was a philosophical division where if and it makes sense to me if you if you've spent your whole career on what the the college athletics is today and you you like you lived through a day when the NIT was almost as competitive as right. the NCAA tournament. Right. And now you've seen that shift and you've seen all of the, the, the behind the scenes that went on, you know, in the eighties for college football and college basketball in the nineties, you've seen this shift and you can understand why, uh, you know, open freedom of movement creates complications. Yep. Conversely, if you're in the, still in the sort of anybody on the first half of their career, they're trying to project out what the second half of their career will look like. It's hard to defend rules that don't apply the same. Why, you know, why do certain sports have to sit out a year when others don't? Right. When when we, we we use the word academics as justification, but nobody knows, nobody believes that's the actual reason. And so there there's an understanding that freedom to move is important, no different than everyone else. And so it, it's tricky. Like at the end of the day, like anything, I'd love I'd love to support a legislative structure where human beings have to take responsibility for their own decisions. But there's no legislative structure that allows that to happen. And so you, you do your best to create one where there's exceptions to every rule. Um, so, so, the, so the transfer universe, is it good or bad for basketball? I don't know. I don't, I don't apply or any sport. Is it, is it good or bad? I'm not applying good or bad, but it just is. And there came a point where I realized this train is coming and there is no stopping it. Yeah. And so that's the only part that, that I've realized. And I, and I think, you know, a lot of us have looked at NIL the same way. There, there's a train coming. We're not stopping it. So how do we adapt to the best of our ability once once it arrives? Rob, you can tell Ken's an administrator. He was the the uh, the language instead of just saying the old timers. <laughs> <laughs> Ten to fifteen years. From, the generation. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the old, old old farts and the young folks. The old guys didn't like the no, the but I, I mean there there was a, no, there, that, there was a collection absolutely. of experiences yeah, that change your perspective, in my opinion. Sure, absolutely, and I think that. I know Coach Painter was on a lot of those committees too, um, and some through the NABC, some through the NCAA. And I remember him wanting some restrictions on transferring, but doing so like it was almost like he was advocating for the small and mid majors, mm-hmm. and was trying to explain to some administrators that you do understand this is going to hurt your league. Like it was a commi- <laughs> you know a commissioner or two from smaller conferences, right? And he said, this could potentially, every year, take the best players out of your league. And I'm trying to help you. And it was like, he, I just remember him coming off of the phone calls just being so frustrated because they didn't understand kind yeah. of that they were, he felt, penalizing themselves mm-hmm. or potentially penalizing themselves. And I think we're probably still too, um, 
this is still too new to really get the full repercussions um, of what this could all look like. Because at the end of the day, I threw out a scenario at one point, like if we're out of scholarships, if we've given away all 13 scholarships and we really like a kid from, let's just say down the road, we really like him. We're like, look, we don't have one now, but we got five guys graduating. Mm -hmm. Instead of you, why don't you go to school X, play, get the experience, and then just transfer here next year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you could totally cut that deal off the radar. Oh, yeah. And it could absolutely happen. And for, for, for all we know, it probably does. Yeah. Right. Well, and even still, like in Winthrop, we, we had a, Coach Kelsey had unbelievable track record with identifying really successful D2 student athletes. We had some D2 transfers that were incredible, uh, necessary parts of the history of what it means to be a Winthrop. And, and at the same time, we worked really hard. And he did, I give him a ton of credit to, for creating such a, a positive environment that we didn't lose it as many transfers as our conference brethren, but, but we fought it and, and everyone has it and fights it. I guess at the end of the day, the, the, our, our goal as coaches and administrators is to train up the young people we're responsible for to be better prepared to, to live life well and make a contribution that makes other people's lives better as well. And so taking accountability for your own personal decisions is a big, big topic. The part that I struggle with is when these conversations go too far into all we need to do is protect these poor little children because they can't protect themselves that that's where it's 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 a balance we we want yeah, we yeah. want you to have freedoms but we want to make sure you understand all the, the ramifications i'd be we can't go out and run the survey of all transferred student athletes and find out how many of you think it was how many of you regret ultimately not just staying where you were the first year and trying mm-hmm. to work through a challenging situation i'm not saying 100 mm-hmm. percent would say yes, but I bet there's a fair amount that would love to have tried again and, and saw what it meant to stick with something for a little bit. It, you know, it's just. I was always of the opinion that the NCAA did themselves a disservice with all the, when they started to get into the waiver business. Mm. And so kids wants, you know, he wants to leave. He wants to play immediately. Well, I need to because my grandpa is ill and he needs to see me play before he passes away, which I get. However, you just open up a can of worms and then yeah. you're done. Like then, yeah. then you're done, and and that's what ended up happening. And so then it became where, well, look, everybody's going to be able to get eligible anyway. We might as well as well. That's what I mean. They probably several friends in Indy would sit right here and agree with you, and because at the end of the day, they ultimately end up having to ramp up their waiver review staff, right? Because once it became once the and, and I, I sat in meetings with coworkers and administrators. And reviewed waivers because at the end of the day, you you you're then rewarded to study how the waiver system works and doesn't work to ultimately yeah. get what you want. We, yeah. We, we, yeah, yeah, I'm guilty of it. Sure, that that just created it, it, the 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 increase in number of waivers submitted exploded overnight almost. Yeah, right. it, it it wore their staff out. It, it just again every rule over time creates exceptions. It's why the IRS code grows and grows and grows and grows and grows <laughs> just like the NCAA rule manual. It's hard to, to keep something this massive. And also when you have so many institutions that are so not like each other, playing by the same rules, it gets real hard to, to start logistically legislating how they're all going to play in the sandbox together. Do you think, uh, hypothetical, we won't know the answer, but if they would have said when the waivers started to appear, if they would have said the only time you can transfer and play immediately 
is if your head coach leaves for any reason, fired, takes another job, whatever, retires, whatever, then you can play immediately. Otherwise, it's still a, you can transfer any time, but it's still the one year sit out. Do you think we'd still be in this position? Do you think that would be that would be in place still? It's you know I remember thinking like I get why that sit out a year rule is there because you want to deter people just changing anytime they want on a whim. Um, I think about it this way: we 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 talk a lot. We, the United States has an incredible Olympic model, so I, I'm I'm a big fan of our Olympic model, and we have a lot of gold medals as a country to show for it. There's a lot of pride in in the way the U.S. manages the Olympic model. And so there's so many, there's been so much effort to try to mimic the Olympic model with, you know, NIL and those things. And I always think it was fascinating what, what separates the Olympic model and, and so many other models that we try to evaluate is in the Olympic model, you don't get to pick which teams you compete for. You, you can only have ever been born in one country. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and so you go to a, a truly professional model, there are contracts and your rights are owned. And so it doesn't mean that there's not a ton of, 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 of team changing going on in the pro model. And in, in college, I do believe a significant amount of affinity grew because A, our fans went to Purdue, most 90% of them, or they love watching good basketball and they had time to get to know the student athletes. So the, the, the change is going to diminish the affinity. So would I have preferred, would I have liked it? It's hard to say because no matter what, you're going to find a group of people are going to say there's something wrong with your logic. But yeah, I, I liked it. I liked having consistency in rosters. Um, but obviously what we witnessed is a difficulty in demonstrating over time more and more restrictions on student-athlete rights was just not going to be tolerated yeah. from the mm-hmm. way it was evolving. Yep. You, you guys see the numbers, though. I see them. I don't know them off the top of my head, but in just talking Division One basketball, the number of players that transferred this offseason, it's a small percentage that either stayed at the same level of basketball yeah. or took a step up. It's a much higher percentage of guys that moved down a division to Division Two or Division Three, or are out of college basketball altogether. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that a deterrent to a potential transfer that say, man, the numbers are not in my favor here to yeah. jump and, into the transfer and portal? And then even you look at the number of, of student-athletes that enter the transfer portal and don't transfer. So, so the... The number of times we're signaling that we're for sale, like we're not for sale, but we're on the market. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'll never forget the first time I remember reading on Twitter a student athlete saying, "I'm reopening my recruitment." Like, like it, and we 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 collectively also, you know, support those behaviors with the, with like we're we're accustomed to. It. We got to play the game if we're gonna you know be in the mix and and attract the best student athletes we can identify. So it's you know I have a. a, a a mentor who uses this line a lot. And I always love it. At the end of the day, we've met the enemy and it's us. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, yep. so we, we roll with it and it, it's amazing how complicated something can evolve when you, you just are in it every single day. And I just think of the bind that puts the coaches in. I mean, Elliot, you would know better than certainly anyone being here in the coach's office. Well, am I recruiting for your spot now? Are you coming back? Do I hold a spot for you? I mean, what a, what a pain. Well, it certainly, I think, changed the way a lot of people do business in terms of you know the coaches that are the old school, you know my way or the highway. Like the, you know, they're dinosaurs now. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're yeah. if they aren't extinct, they're close because it's it's uh, it doesn't work anymore. You know, a kid can pick up and roll. And at the end of the day, I think that one of the reasons we probably had fewer transfers than most is probably because of the way that Coach Painter goes about his business, where he's just a he's a player's coach. He's demanding, but but fair. 
Uh, I think he's got the probably the perfect balance and the perfect personality to kind of coach, you know, in this day and age. And like he's not, he's still he's not one of those guys that's going to be their best friend. He, like he that's a common saying of his. Like I'm not here to be your best friend. Like you know you've got you've got friends. Like I'm here to make you a better basketball player and a better man and to get your degree and to be a productive citizen. Like that's why I'm here. And at the end of the day, if a kid doesn't like that philosophy then maybe he's not fit for the locker room anyway but also so even to your point because then then you you just made a reference to the older coaches and in the industry and how how you would ever label that but think about so think about pj thompson so he's on our staff now um he and he played for paint he will never coach he will never be on a staff in an era where you weren't first and foremost recruiting your current roster yeah like that is that is now normal to him absolutely and so for the rest of his career that's just normal Whereas, you know, Coach Lusk, you know, Coach Payne have been around, you've, you've been around, you've seen an evolution from the first thing you're recruiting is the incoming freshman class. Right. Evolve into the first thing you're recruiting is to which grad transfer can make a current immediate impact. <laughs> right. Now to, well, I got to recruit my current roster. So yeah. it's, it's when younger coaches come in, what is, if what is different to us is normal to them. The more years they get under their belt, the more they're going to find solutions associated with this is how it's always been. We, we joked this last year. I said, you know, I told Payne, I said, it's going to turn into the NBA model. When you get beat in the playoffs or if you don't make the playoffs, literally the next day, all the players come in and have one-on-ones with the GM because they're, they're wanting to get the hell out of there and break for the summer and get on with their life. And the GM needs to meet with him real quick because he needs to say, basically, here's where you stand. Here's where I thought, you know, the year or whatever. And you had these kind of quick exit meetings. And... I told Payne, I said, that's going to be, become what we do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the tournament's over. Um, and like the next day, normally when we, when your season's over, you kind of just take a couple weeks and decompress and everybody goes their separate ways. The guys get back in the classroom and, you know, then you collect yourself after a couple weeks and get back at it. Now it's going to be like, hey, uh, I know we just finished up yesterday, but I need to talk to you. Because I need to find out what you're doing. Like, mm-hmm. are you yeah. rolling or are you staying? <laughs> right. right. Yeah. And if you're rolling, that's fine. But we need to know so we can get to work. Because two weeks in that during that time of year is an eternity yeah. when it comes to recruiting someone. And, and the other lever that, that you're hitting on also are the arbitrarily decided scholarship limits. So we're, we're, we're at the mercy of the NCAA on the scholarship limits. For, for men's, it's 13. For women's, it's 15. And, and there are reasons that went into that. But then if, if a guy's leaving or not, you need to know right. you, you roster spot and aid mm-hmm. spot. And there, you don't have an extra one to offer as a just-in-case. Yeah, and right. so it's, it creates yeah. an airtight bottleneck that has that's real dicey. And it depends on timing when the same conversations are going on in, you know, 350 other basketball offices the <laughs> yeah. exact same time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a new world for sure. Uh, new world, uh, speaking of new world, NIL. Name, image, likeness. Uh, so for our listeners, unless you've been living completely under a rock, um, basically student-athletes now can use their name, image, and likeness to benefit monetarily. Um, before, you couldn't any of those extra benefits. There was always a, a big list of no-nos. Now that list keeps shrinking by the day. Uh, athletes can do commercials. They can do appearances, use their social media, just any creative... Um, option you can come up with to get put a little extra money in your pocket is now on the table uh ken has been very much at the forefront of nil stuff with purdue in the last year um safe to say the biggest kind of thing you've tackled as a as a college administrator (laughs) 
tackled some big. Th- yeah, uh, we're still. It's not on the ground yet. Like we're still. Yeah, tackling I mean, <laughs> right. But, but you've been on this for a while. <laughs> we haven't. Uh, yeah, and when, like, and I would say too. So again, I was on Division One Council, so I, I'll I vividly remember the day that the vote happened to allow NIL, but it came with no concrete logistical explanations, and so we all sat there like, we know we have to do this, but we don't even know what we just voted into. Yeah, into right. play. And the other thing that drives me up a wall is why did we have to put the letters of the acronym in that order? Because everyone in the world mixes up NLI and NIL all the time. Yeah. Mm. If we could have just flipped it a little bit, we would know what we're talking about. And so N- NLI is point. National Letter of Intent, which is what uh, athletes Still a big signs, deal. Yeah, <laughs> to commit themselves to that school. And IL is name, image, likeness. Agreed. Totally agreed on the NIL, NLI thing. Right. Um, but you, but you make a great point. So this is all. This, this is all basically said. Okay, this is all kosher now. Let's go. We're going to do this, and there's zero, Concrete. basically guidelines, guardrails, yeah. guardrails. <laughs> there's also zero roadmap. So yep. everybody is starting out from scratch. Um, is that good or bad? Because I, I can see both. <laughs> yeah. I can see like we're okay. We have a little bit of freedom to do some things here. Yeah, I, I probably. Um, more often than I ought to resist opportunities to apply good or bad to anything and just say that it is. So, so I it's could, all very much TBA right. right now. I can so I can argue in in two different directions, and I always use Jody Foster as an analogy. So Jody Foster went to Yale as an undergraduate student, also a very productive young actress. She appeared in movies while she was a student and while appearing in theater. And when she appeared in those movies, she got paid a lot of money, and it, nobody died. Like. Totally did yep. not, she in her collegiate experience mattered. At the same time, I doubt there was a single Yale alumnus offering her money under the table to pick Yale over, name the other, you know, Ivy League school. Right. So, so on one side, student athletes, there are, we have all of these examples of student athletes who could have monetized their personal name, image, and likeness, and we, it was being prevented unfairly. And, it was a good thing to move forward. At the same time, there is no industry like university, United States intercollegiate athletics. There's no industry in the world like it. It's it's it, we have our no other countries a tie uh, sports to their colleges. They have club models. We right. and, and people use that as an explanation why we're bad. But I'm telling you, every other country in the world saying we should create more of a of a U.S. model for our colleges. Yeah. So so moving forward in a way that that deals with that part of it at the end of the day we're not we're not we've been battling forever under the table payments at the to because people care and it's the affinity and this is i give tim house credit for saying it out loud at least the first person i heard say it it's the affinity that our school our, our fan bases have for the school itself that drives what is so amazing about college athletics and these athletes are are, are such these student athletes are so so important to all of it but at the end of the day, the reason everybody that we know loves Jaden Ivey, it happened the day he put that, that Purdue jersey right, on. Right, and he competed yeah. for Purdue. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was in our classrooms and he was going to school. And, and, and our fan base will now always and forever love Jaden Ivey because he put that P on. And if it was yeah. a different logo, that would have been a different entity and different fan base. In the professionalized model, that affinity deteriorates. The, the 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 passion the personal connectivity to this to the team it's way different if you talk to people about their their fan base the the fanning for the nba teams is just different 
the, the Boilermakers around here and name the school, they're going to be alums of that institution for life. And they're going to be fans of that institution for life. So trying to, to support athletes and their ability to benefit monetarily is a good thing. Eroding the affinity, anything that erodes the affinity of what makes college athletics so exciting that is a bad thing. And in finding that blend, none of us have found it yet. <laughs> so, and then at the end of the day, like I, you hit at the, the, the lack of concrete understanding of how to move forward. You know, the other thing we're wrestling with right now is, is what makes a rule a rule. If, if you drive down a highway and the speed limit is 65 and you can drive literally any speed limit speed that you want, knowing you'll never get pulled over, is it really a speed limit? Right. You sure. know, I mean, there's, you can go a little over it, but eventually, you know, if you, if you keep it 12 or below, you got a shot. If you start going 15 and 20, you're going to get popped. Like, yeah, th- that's not in the case here. Nobody, there is no enforcement going on in, in this space. Yeah. I would huh. think my opinion on NIL stuff is that I, and I don't want to speak for fans and a majority of people listening, but my thought is generally people don't have a problem with NIL. They agree that a young person should be able to take advantage of their name, image, likeness, and benefit financially. I don't think that's the, the rub at all. I think the rub comes from the way it's entered the recruiting process. Correct. And the way it's been used to entice kids to go to different schools for different amounts of money. And I think that's probably where, that's probably why this has become such a hot button topic for a lot of fans is because now they're seeing it and they're starting to realize that like you know a kid may not pick your school for the right reason what they would deem the right reasons you know to be able to sit in class and enjoy the campus that i enjoyed 40 years ago and you know wear that old gold and black and all that all those kind of romanticized things and now it's more of a cold hard cash what are you going to do for me kind of thing um so i i think that's probably where the majority of the rub comes from yes and no my my mind went two different directions there but what we used to talk about like so the rule was you can't use nil for inducement of recruits or to induce somebody from transferring right and and it's it was just it's laughable like there are literally schools out there advertising they their their collective exists to draw the best recruits to their institute i mean it's it's we're, yeah. we're putting it in print that we that we ignore like not we other schools are putting it in print that they're ignoring this but at the end of the day you're like what is inducement everything we do it like to recruit is to induce so i remember you know we were at winthrop in um one year the best player out of the state of south carolina was Zion williamson hmm. and you know we Sure, we tried, but he picked Duke over Winthrop. Thought we had a. You guys shot are right there. I'm, I thought you were right there. And and, I, and in pre this was pre nil. So so on its surface, there was no, you know, payments that were out there. But you know, the the operating budget, the way they travel, the way they're fed, Cameron Indoor, like the Winthrop Coliseum is a beautiful mid major basketball facility, but it's not Cameron Indoor. Right. So the, the, we could sit there and say, well, that's not fair. Why do they get to feed him more, and why do they get to take private charter travel? And why, at the end of the day, you still have the university. You have there, there, there are inequities everywhere. You can't make a perfectly flat playing field. And so the one part where there's so much, well, this school has so much more money than us, though so they're going to beat us in this space. That sentence has been used for decades. Right. It's just been a different example. 
first it's you know facility enhancements then it's travel then it's food now it's nil yeah but like certain schools have that we beat routinely have always had more money than us and and so this i do think this will be over time we will you know you you can't the other one of my other favorite mentor lines is you can't buy tradition off the shelf like doesn't matter how much money you have culture history tradition and and the things that really matter that differentiates in ways that money doesn't i mean well you know Texas was the largest department, athletic department operating budget in the country last year, I think. Either them or at Texas A&M. Um, they, they weren't winning national titles in, the, in the, the, the two biggest sports. They won quite a few. But um, money, money does a lot of things. It doesn't do everything. Yeah. And so right. I, I still, that's where I cling to, you know, fans who have a hard time. I do think, <laughs> I don't think sometimes, too, fans want it paid for. They just don't want to be the ones to pay for certain fans. They're, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're the ones who really want to help and support. Yeah. You know, yeah. they support through the John Purdue Club. And, but, but the majority who get excited, they want it paid for. They just want to be the ones to do it. <laughs> yeah. So I would add this. As, as Elliot was speaking, I was thinking this, too. You said incorrectly, Elliot, I thought most fans are okay with the NIL. I would add most fans are okay with the NIL as long as my school's keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah, yeah. Right? And yep. I'm I'm sure from, an, and I think you're alluding to this, from an administrative standpoint, I'm sure you're hearing that, Ken, from fans. Well, I see so-and-so offered, you know, 200 grand, 400 grand, 600 grand for X player. Why aren't we doing that? Correct. Right? You, you have to be hearing those complaints. We're hearing those complaints, but we're also in a position where we can see what is getting out there, using air quotes, is massively inaccurate. Hmm. And that's that. What we're also seeing. I don't know if you guys have watched the the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. If you haven't, I highly recommend it. But it, it's a it's a fascinating demonstration of what the world of social media has done to expose human nature. And you know, one of their lines was, "We always worry about when artificial intelligence is going to overcome human strength. We weren't paying attention when it overcame human weakness." That all I have to do is send out a tweet tomorrow, and I could bet you can probably get a percentage of a certain population to believe it. And yeah, so, absolutely. so something floats in word of mouth or on, and somebody goes to a chat board and I heard that this school paid X and, and people just, it spreads like wildfire. And now we're expected to compete with a completely fabricated number mm-hmm. in examples like this one. Um, it's even been told to me that other schools had heard we were doing something at a certain number and they were up against it. And, and we, you've had this experience, like we've had yeah. this experience where it's like, that's, it's categorically false what you just were told we did. And yet your entire community was operating as if you needed to overcome something. So, yeah. so you're right. Yeah. They, they want us to keep, they want, they want us to perceptively keep up with the Joneses. Um, even in the off season, it's not enough just to show it on the court. It's gotta be <laughs> on the off season too. Well, I want to get into this before we uh, before we run out of time. Uh, the uh, the third, I guess, huge pillar of uh, change uh, that is afoot: conference realignment, especially mm-hmm. in the Big Ten. Um, obviously, a few weeks ago, uh, UCLA, USC entering the fray. Um, a lot of changes. We uh, we swing to the West Coast. Used to go uh, out to Nebraska. Now we're going to go a little bit beyond there. Um, so, I guess just your general thoughts on. Uh, and and I'd, I'd be more curious, like just you. I know you've been in, in the league now a year, and you've been a Purdue a year. But like, still, what what when it first hit your plate? What did you? What were your thoughts? My first thought. So I flashed back when I was at Eastern Washington University. We were in the Big Sky Conference, and um, you know, at one point Idaho had left the Big Sky 
uh, and then they jumped FBS to join the Sun Belt. And I was like, isn't Coastal Carolina in that at the time? Like, you're, you're literally going coast to coast. It was one of the early times. And in, in Idaho is one of the only schools to, like, raise their hand and say, all right, you know, it was, was a bad idea. We're going back to FCS. Mm. Um, but at the Big Sky, so you have travel partners. So in the Big Sky, Southern Utah and Northern Arizona are travel partners. So if you're going to go play them on a road swing, you're going to hit those two schools. And we would have faculty all the time say, why do you fly everywhere? Why can't you just drive? And we would always say, well, as an example, between Southern Utah and Northern Arizona, there's a big hole in the earth called the Grand Canyon. <laughs> the geography matters in how you get places. Mm-hmm. So, Thelma so, and Louise tried to drive. Yeah. <laughs> didn't work out. So, so my first thought was like, you like, that the the TV market is the reason we're talking about this, and to do it, we skipped an entire time zone. Like we went mm-hmm. all the way over the mountain time zone to get a Pacific time zone. So, so in 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 our on our campus, there's a lot of discussions about oh our our you know thing about baseball and softball are popular example because you you play three conference games in a row. Right. They got to go all the way over to Los Angeles at least once or twice, and and our response has been administratively well think about the LA schools. Mm-hmm. Now half their conference play is going to be the nearest, the, w- w- Illinois and Purdue are probably the nearest shot they can get to. Northwestern is probably the easiest with them because a lot of our schools too aren't right next to major airports. Right. And, and then, you know, of yeah. course, the, the favorite example is the, the Rutgers, Maryland, you know, UCLA, uh-huh. USC, that we've got to create a rivalry out of those two. They can meet in England somewhere and play <laughs> or something at that point. It's, 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 it's the travel logistics are part of it. But then the next the next question too is, does that put you know the country in a position where there are a couple more Pac-12 schools, or or even even mountain range schools right. that allow them to have some natural competitors in their space? Um, and then obviously, like we joked about, you just told their spring sport teams that half your games are now going to be in Ann Arbor, yeah, <laughs> yeah, West yeah. Lafayette, and Columbus. Break out the winter coats, which they probably <laughs> have never had. It it will be very interesting. I think to see the future too. Where does the Big Ten stop? Where does the SEC stop? How far do they, you know, do they continue to add teams? Which teams are those? At the end of the day, we're at the 16 teams now. If a team, if a team enters the Big Ten, they have to obviously bring something to the table that can be divided 17, 18, 19, 20 ways, whatever <laughs> number that ends up being, and still keep the number going up, not down. Yeah. So. so- and in, in so this is just a, a a pontification. I don't have any, you know, I'm not sharing anything that's not public. But like you said, if a school is going to be added to a conference, in theory, financially, you would whatever the whatever the the split becomes, you want that school to bring equal to or greater than everyone else's split to the pot, so you're not diluting the, the global piece. That's a big right, piece of right. it. Um, I, I do also know there are probably at least some um, representatives in the conference who have voiced. Is it also is it good to totally decimate one entire conference and leaving leaving a bunch of schools on an island and boxing that it's like you, you ever what's the um the board game risk where you're you're yeah. taking up part of the board and if you yeah. cut off an entire section of the country they they can't get to games to be able to compete and you want there's certain brands that are good yeah for college athletics but then the other piece I thought too is like you know even if even if a Pac-12 school were to take a percentage of a Big Ten media share split today, it might be worthwhile because it's still bigger than a Pac-12 media split, mm-hmm. or whatever it might become. So I, these are all just things you wonder at as far as how the chess pieces are going to move. Is is it better to have two power conferences, 
or is there a three power conference universe or um does some mountain west schools come up or pac-12 schools go down or it's right. it's you know and the fun part is everyone in the country's got an opinion all over twitter and i bet money wherever it lands is nowhere near and i would love your thinks. opinion on this ken from a mid-major standpoint you've had so much experience at that level like your former colleagues at Winthrop Mm -hmm. is there any fear that eventually we're not going to have a seat at the table when it comes to collegiate athletics so I would say that the greater fear in schools like that that's a that's a a second level fear the greater fear is everyone's talking about this enrollment cliff that's coming and so I I might mess up the the logistics of how this storyline goes but there was a um, a group of you know People younger than us stopped having kids for a while, or maybe it was our age. And so there's fewer collegiate-aged kids coming out of high school in the, in the coming years. So there's fewer students to enroll. They're going to go cling to the larger, to the majority, to the larger um, flagship institutions, leaving these regional comprehensive smaller schools with fewer students to pick from. And, and if a school like Winthrop is enrollment dependent, so 80% of Winthrop's operating budget is based on tuition enrollment right you know it's way different for a school like purdue that can have a million different revenue streams when it's all enrollment and your enrollment drops it's difficult to survive and schools like that also operate more than half their operating budget support from the institution versus self-generated seat at the table gets more and more important the other trick you know winthrop's basketball only but the, the cfp revenues are outside of the ncaa so those are determined by the cfp so yeah. involvement and how that's broken out is separate from the NCA, but the NCA revenues are not nothing because that that tournament in March is a billion dollar entity that that has a, a force to to be reckoned with, a billion dollar annual entity. So all of those schools are clinging to an auto bid because you know not just the notoriety you can get, but the shares that your conference yeah, gets from yeah. making the tournament, and if you can advance in the tournament, is a big 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 deal. Um, and so yeah, a lot of schools are going to say. How do we keep at least one auto bid? How do we elevate the, the schools and structure this in a way that more can get access to that tournament? But what nobody disagrees about is how much value, interest, and demand there is for, for the NCAA tournament. Well, the one thing I would say before we kind of wrap this up is that Purdue is in as good a spot as you can be in in everything we just talked about. Without a doubt. We're, we're a founding member of the Big Ten, in the Big Ten, and where we where we sit in the Big Ten, you know, we we're probably the most centrally located school, mm-hmm. uh, which is a big deal. Um, you know, if you can if you can bust us some games instead of flying, save some money. You're centrally located; that's uh, a good thing. Uh, and then to speak to your your last point, Ken, the Purdue's had record enrollments the last few years. Mm-hmm. Our student body size keeps growing. Freshman numbers keep growing. We are showing no signs of slowing down, and everything seems to be kind of bucking the trend nationally so we're in a pretty good spot here in uh in west lafayette which means uh i guess some of us can kind of sit back with the popcorn and watch it all unfold and <laughs> not stress too much well and it's I, i'll add context to that a couple of things one coming from the outside in <clears throat> seeing the philosophical commitment to being fiscally conservative as an institution we're having our you know, the institution enrollment is having its strongest financial years ever, right when the rest of the country fell apart. Mm. Our athletics department is the same. The the more than a game campaign worked to make sure that we came out of COVID with zero deficit. We've got in-state, in-state brethren who were taking out $40 million loans to, to cover the gap that was dropped. And then add to that, so 
uh, one of these days you guys will have, I'm sure Tiffany Grimes on the podcast, the, our other deputy AD we just hired up from Alabama. And, and she, she's a Purdue grad, but she hasn't been back in a while. And as she, she, I walked around and she saw the facilities we have and she kept just constantly talking about how incredible we are from a facility standpoint right now across all of our sports. And literally she put up, put us up against all but maybe two SEC schools just in basketball alone from a facility standpoint for men's and women's that, that across the country, everything we have, we are in an elite position. There's nothing holding us back from being at and staying on top of the country from everything we're doing. From a financial standpoint, our fan base is now ready to, to dive in and support us. I mean, we're having conversations not just with the fundraising we have to do, but with our NIL needs, and our fan base has been responding so far. And so everything that we need to do to keep being successful moving forward, our trajectory is going to keep going up. It's, it's an unbelievable time to be at Purdue. Yeah, I totally agree. I've said that for now a couple of years on this podcast. Yes. And it just, it's yes, it's nice that we are allowed to continue to say it and feel, <laughs> feel, feel good about it. Okay, uh, we do everything. We do a, a final four questions here with everybody that comes on the podcast, Ken. So um, we're going to put you in the final four hot seat real quick. These are kind of off the beaten path uh, I see topics. So here we go. First question in the final four with Ken Halpin, Deputy AD here at Purdue, is what is your go-to music of choice? Whatever everyone else is listening to. Really? Yeah. When I run, it's nothing. Like top 40 stuff? No, just whoever else is in the car, pick something. So, so if, your kids, if you're taking your kids somewhere, they're running the dial? They are. Oh, mm. wow. Yes, they are. I don't yeah. know. I mean, if it's just me, I'll, like lately it's been on Spotify, Chris Stapleton. Okay. You know, not cool. Chris Stapleton Radio. So Yeah, yeah. I just saw him in Wrigley a couple of weeks ago. I saw yeah. your pictures on uh, social media. Phenomenal. That looked fun. Phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. He does. Yeah. Yeah. He's very talented guy. Okay. So just kind of go with the flow, huh? Yeah. I'm is there not, any, not, any... Music isn't a big deal to me. That, I got that sense. Yeah. Any genre that you just are like, no, 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 turn off? Oh, gosh. I don't think so. I always remember my friends always say, hey, there's two kinds of music I want to listen to, country and western. I was like, well, I, I'm the opposite of that. I'll listen to that, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm great to make sure, I'll put it this way, I love to try and make sure everyone around me is as comfortable as they can be, because I'll, I'll, I'll be just fine. Okay, that's an interesting How's take. that for a non-answer? <laughs> no, that's good. That's interesting, because I'm, I'm not the same way at all. I'm the total opposite of that. Like, if I get in the car, I'll, I'll be like, really, we're listening to this crap? Like, yeah. I'll... <laughs> Hence the question, right? We've, my wife and I have been called music snobs many times, many times before. <laughs> Okay, second question here on the final four. What is your favorite book or maybe a good book you've read recently? Ooh, um, go a lot of directions. Uh, everything Cal Newport has written. Uh, I'm a huge fan of um, Seth Godin and Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, I guess I would say recently there's a book um, by Adam Grant, his most recent one, and I'm blanking on the name of the title. It's got a blue, mat- a blue flame from a match on the cover. Um, and you go back and remember what it's called. I, I read that over, over Christmas last year. That it was a really, really impactful book on um, understanding how to work in a way that inspires other people to 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 shift their decisions based off of shared interests. Um, I think it's called Think Again. Might have it wrong, but I can talk about those topics a long time. Those, I have a lot more book opinions than, than music opinions. No, I, I figured you did. Most of the books I'm guessing are about like human psychology that's a fair way to say it. the way i describe it is i like reading things that challenge me to think differently mm. that, that just that challenge whatever i think from a framework standpoint 
so there's probably a lot rooted in 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 human psychology more so than not really leadership but you know people who have done empirical research to understand human behavior to, to better understand how to, to help you know like we say this i say this a lot administratively whenever i want something done differently i often tell somebody look i don't want you to do this i want you to want to do this and so we we need to work together to find a reason how our, our our values can be shared and so reading things that understand how people think and how they operate is is i find it fascinating malcolm gladwell is a fascinating dude oh yeah I oh yeah listen to a bunch of podcasts with him big he, fan of and him. He, i mean he asks he asks questions like I, I give him a lot of credit for this when i think a lot too a solution can only be as good as the question that preceded it and so often your solutions can be limited if you don't ask really really thoughtful questions i just saw where he had a quote he said basically he's making the argument that people need to return to the office instead of working from home after the pandemic and i haven't listened to it yet but i'm but i'm always interested in what he has to say yep and what he has to say like he's one of those opinions that I always am curious to know what his take is on something. He so. he searches for counter cultural trends that are legitimate and yeah. expands on them, and he does it in an unbelievable way. And I like the way he digs in. He's not he doesn't try to sugarcoat it. He gets an opinion and and he goes with it. Okay, uh, third question here on the final four: If you could wave a wand and do any other profession starting tomorrow, what would it be? I would work the ski patrol until you're on Colorado. Seriously? Wow. No that joke. Was a very quick answer. That was a quick one, and that was a first. We've oh, never yes. had that. So, so it comes from people ask me a lot, like you know, what's your dream job? You, you were an administrator. You grew up in Oregon. So like, what do you want to be the AD? At? Like, yeah. and I always say like, no, I'll tell you exactly what my dream job is. I want to work ski patrol. Um, it's so that's going to be my last job. I don't know what I do between now and then, but you know, if I if if Telluride's my favorite place in the country, and so if I do this right, I have to save up a lot of money to to get a bedroom or two in Telluride. I'll probably be much later in life, so I've still got to be in really good shape if I'm going to ski the whole mountain, still be doing something that helps people, and then maybe, you know, I just go out one day and don't come back. I'd be great with that. So <laughs> Very, so the, the most popular answer it. is a professional golfer, which is probably, mm-hmm. what, this is the 87th podcast we've done. We're probably eight, nine people have said being a professional golfer. Not even no one has been in the same ballpark, <laughs> but that's great. That's great. Like that's a phenomenal answer. Very cool. Are you a big skier, Rob? Um, I have not uh, skied since probably twenty three, twenty four years old. You know, I've never been, never been skiing. Well, the problem growing up, as you know, in Central Indiana, there yeah. aren't a whole lot yeah, of options to no, go snow not. skiing. No, <laughs> is that does that bother you when? That you've been well, you were no in comment. South Carolina, so it's <laughs> we took. I took a trip back west at least once or twice a year if I could. So mm. you got to go out like you could either drive five hours or just catch a flight to Denver. <laughs> so here you're either going to Michigan and the one down in Paoli. Yeah, Paoli Peaks is yeah, about yeah. the only option in so Indiana. West Virginia's got a um, snowshoe is okay. a, a reputable hill, and you can get up the Northeast a little bit and get access to some some good stuff. But it's you just can't beat Colorado and. I'm wondering why you were wanting us to schedule Colorado home and home. (laughs) You wanted to go there in January. I was wondering what that was about. Uh, And Stanford's not too far from Tahoe. so There you go. All right, last question here on the final four. Uh, What is a little known or a fact about you that no one knows? That no one knows? I don't know. I I think whenever I get this, I get double-jointed thumbs. That's a weird one. Um, I I didn't know that. I, uh, I don't know. I mean... I think I try to keep as few people as possible knowing this, but I mean, I'm sure you guys know a little bit. I, I invest a lot of time in doing 
the health and fitness habits I have might be accused of being extreme by some. Um, and so I spent a lot more time than you would realize. Daily runner, right? Well, yeah, daily endurance sport. And, and at times more than once daily. <laughs> well, you've done the Ironman competitions, right? Yeah, so, yeah. But, I, but I actually, so Wednesday I will catch a flight to Colorado. And this coming weekend I'll, I'll run a 100-mile trail race. So stuff like that. Wow. What are you doing this weekend, Rob? <laughs> Not <laughs> running 100 miles. Sucking, <laughs> sucking down a few beers. And <laughs> yeah. no, don't get me wrong. I will have a beer or two. <laughs> It'll just be after. I won't even drive 100 miles this well, weekend. Ken's going to run 100. What would be another aspect of the fitness thing that people would find weird? Like diet? Do you have any crazy diet stuff going on? I eat anything and everything in front of me. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't do that too. I mean I mean I'm not really principled on too many things. I just I like to explore things that I would on on its face value think that are impossible for me personally and then try to, you know, apply the power of time you just maybe if i work at it for a real long time and see what we can achieve and so i don't know just i'm fascinated by things that would seem near impossible on their face wow that's pretty pretty uh pretty good stuff. well we'll see like i, I, I feel like finish. if i don't finish then it's like this is i feel I'm, like such an underachiever <laughs> i mean i played a couple rounds of golf this week i thought it was doing pretty good you probably did better than i would have <laughs> Okay, well, good luck in the upcoming race and all that stuff. And uh, I got to say to our uh, to our fans listening, and Ken's been a tremendous asset to our program. Helps us in a lot of ways. Um, he's been very valuable, especially in the NIL front, as you can tell. Very well versed in that and up to speed on things. And uh, lucky to have him uh, part of the program. And and looking forward to many more successful ventures with him, uh, kind of in the in the uh, ship with us. So. Thanks for taking time to join us here. Enjoyed it. Thank you, guys. Thanks. All right. That was episode 87 here on the Boilerball Podcast. I want to appreciate, uh, pass along our appreciation to all our listeners. And until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well. Good night, everyone. <laughs>